This episode is brought to you by Wellforce, offering business consulting and IT solutions for the hybrid workforce. Online at wellforce.ai. Thank you for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit girlswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. I feel like every guy will always have a 12-year-old inside of them. Well, I have Matt a, makes jokes like that. I have a 12-year-old boy inside me, and half the time I'm the one saying... <laughs> you make jokes like, like... Yes, I totally do. Really? You don't watch The Office. I don't, don't have understand. a 12-year-old boy inside of me. You don't have a Michael Scott inside of you. Yeah. <laughs> Joke, I don't watch the show. So uh, the guest, David, Whoa. you and I you are just going to... You watch The Office? Like, no. His name is Zach. Well, Zach. I have to sign off. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I try not to associate with those sorts of people. <laughs> Who don't watch it? How have you not watched The Office? <laughs> I'm like, the show's over. He tries not to associate with people like me. Show's over. End cut. I'm done. I'm, a, I'm personally offended on a number of Yeah, and that. we're out. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to do the intro. All right, so my name is Sarah Madras. Jenny Midgley's next to me laughing her ass off. And we are the girls who do stuff. And this is the show where you come as you are with the courage to speak up and tell a better story. And maybe we should add and unleash your inner 12-year-old boy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> What had happened before we started and why Jenny is dying is a well-placed, that's what she said joke. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. You, the, like, uh, Mark now this, broke you. I was going to say, this is the episode where we go, and now we broke Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be the coffee. Oh, my God. So good. Oh, thank you for that. I needed that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Today, <laughs> virtually in the studio, we have. Yes, we have Zach Hunt. Tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself to our audience, Jenny covers i like the office so um jenny and i clearly have good taste so i appreciate it. i'm just a guy i live in nashville tennessee i wrote a book called unraptured it's about the end of the world and about my obsession with the end times when i was in high school and how i uh learned how wrong i was and when i'm not learning how wrong i am i'm parenting which is usually the same thing exactly uh, exactly and, yes mm -hmm. <laughs> And making barbecue. I have a little bit of a problem with barbecue. A little bit obsessive, but trying to put it to good use. So, yeah. Gotcha. No, it's just me and my wife and kids and, and our puppy who I just stuck outside because she was chewing on plastic and making all kinds <laughs> of crazy noise. Nice. That is going to yeah. be fun later. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's gone through two pairs of Bose ear, a pair oh. of AirPods. Um, oh, she no. She destroyed my CPAP mask, an oriental rug. Yeah. No, so the, what the, value the does the dog add exactly? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just and why is she adorable. not in a crate 23 hours a day for uh, her yard time? I'm here to offer her up for adoption. So if anyone's looking for a dog out there, <laughs> right? I have one available. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. So, yeah. So I reached out to Zach because I follow him on, on social. And, like, he's funny and he's got this, like, really cool vibe that's calling things Aww. out for what they are. And, like bringing truth to a lot of these backwards conspiracy theories. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm trying to be very careful about the way that I word this. <laughs> but it's looking at it from the perspective of, like, that you can be a Christian and be a logistical, pragmatic human being. Because I'm not going to lie, when you were like, the pastor's coming on inside, I literally <laughs> was like, I, I don't, I don't. Did we approve this guest? Did we, like, oh, what does this, oh. oh. I was so very, oh, God. It's actually just an elaborate <laughs> intervention for you, Sarah. <laughs> right. 
the, the Jenny Jew, is here, so that up. would not be happening. I'm very aware. Of that. <laughs> the Jew set up the Christian intervention for you. Tell me about the book. I'm curious. Tell me more about this. Yeah, the book's called Unraptured, and ultimately, what I'm trying to do is envision what she was saying a, a more practical, relevant version of Christianity that's not just about escapism and self service. Like the version of Christianity that I grew up in was just your cliche conservative evangelicalism. I was that died in the wool. You vote Republican or you go to hell teenager and got really obsessed with Jesus coming back and whisking my soul away to heaven and leaving my pajamas behind and had a faith crisis in college when I realized that maybe I was wrong about some things, which is really stunning because I'm rarely wrong about anything, but that is a joke. You can't. Yeah, I got it. I got it. We were like, okay. is his wife in the room that he was delivering <laughs> I'm not, for her? I'm not that much of an asshole. Can you swear? I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, yes. Please swear. do. Yes. Okay, cool. So anyway, so I was an asshole in, in high school and college for Jesus. And assholes, assholes for Jesus. For Jesus? Help me. Assholes for Jesus. So you, what you, I hear with that is you're basically judging everybody that is not yes. in alignment with Jesus right. and every commandment and like perfection exactly. and like holier than thou. It's a spiritual calling that um, I gave myself. Okay. And I was very good at it. I think a lot of folks out there who want to follow Jesus or say they follow Jesus especially on social media, tend to be assholes for Jesus, which is not a great thing. And in college, I had to come face to face with the fact that maybe I was wrong about some things. And the book chronicles that journey and me losing my faith, doing ascent, and then putting it back together and, and trying to find a Christianity that's worth believing in. Right. It's not just running around, you know, telling everyone that they're going to hell and then waiting for Jesus to whisk me away to heaven, but something that really looks like Jesus, that that's worthwhile, that actually helps the least of these, that helps people in need, that serves the poor, that makes the world this world a better place instead of just waiting for it to burn up and then going to get your mansion in heaven. Gotcha. So tell me how you were, like the what, only what was word th is indoctrinated into the original thinking. <laughs> so I I don't have quite the cliche born into this fundamentalist abusive you know family that unfortunately a, a lot of folks do. You know my family was great and loving. I sought out the end time stuff myself. They're fairly conservative, but you know not as much so anymore, which is great because I'm not either. But yeah, I grew up just in the bubble, and you grow up in whatever your bubble is, and th and that's all. You, and you think that the bubble is the right way, and anything outside the bubble is scary and dangerous. And anyone mm -hmm. who disagrees doesn't just have a difference of opinion; they're the spawn of Satan, who's an agent of the devil, who's trying to trick you and drag your soul down to hell. Oh, an um, agent of the oh, yes, the because that is seriously wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> what I'm he ready. just said made I was in the car with my boys, and my six year old said. Mommy, is it true that because we don't go to church that we don't believe in God? And I was like, no, baby, that's not true. Like, we can talk to God wherever we want. And he goes, that's what I told blank. And I go, they go to church and their parent is a pastor and they're that. And I go, no, baby, we can talk to God wherever. And he goes, good, because I meditate all the time. And I talked to him then. And Landon <laughs> goes, I pray every night and talk to God. And I was like, yeah, God is everywhere. Angels are everywhere. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, and she also said that it's the devil that makes us do bad things. And he goes, and I don't think that's true either. And I was like, you're right, baby. The devil does not make us do bad things. Right. And he goes, yeah, 
we get to choose. Do I want to do this bad thing or I want to do this instead? And I'm like, oh my right. God, I like, freaking love you. Our kids you. are poster children <laughs> for compassionate empathy. If we could package like the Brene Brown parenting toolkit, <laughs> it would be visible in our children who both like, my kids walk around with understanding that nobody makes you feel anything. You mm-hmm. will have a feeling as a reaction mm-hmm. because we know feelings are neither good nor bad. They just are. Yes. And every show I have she to get it She gets it in every show. <laughs> I don't even flinch anymore. I just ignore it. And they, we talk about how we, everybody has personal, like we, we have these enlightened, what we see as enlightened kids where it's really just. And I, what you said is so true though, because they, they were having this conversation with these other children and the other children are being taught. No, the devil makes you do bad things. The, the, if you are not going to church, you do not believe and it's all or nothing. It's that yeah. dichotomy that yes. you can either, you either are or you aren't. I think the sort of fundamentalism is a lot like racism. It's not something you're born with. It's something that you're taught. And so that you're conditioned from a young age that there's this dichotomous world where everything is black and right, right and wrong. And it's very easy and there's good guys and bad guys. And anyone who doesn't agree with us is a bad guy. But yeah, my kids are the same way. I love how they challenge me and then also they challenge me in how I think but then challenge me that to, to, to realize you know how smart they are even at five yep. and seven how they're thinking about these things like they were getting an argument the other day about Jesus or God and one of my daughters used a gendered pronoun said it was he and then my other one was like God doesn't have a gender and then they went back and forth and <laughs> yes like, what what five and seven year old argue about the gender yes. of God but it's it's I great. It. Yeah. On the other hand, though, they also know that I write about theology and, you know, so they try to stump me with, you know, whatever questions they can constantly come up with. And so the other day it was, does, if there's nobody else on earth and everybody else has gone to heaven and Santa Claus has to deliver presents to heaven, does Santa Claus have to kill himself so that he can get to heaven and deliver presents? Oh, see, that what? makes complete sense. That makes complete it sense It does to make me. complete sense, but it's such an abstract, like mature question but at the same time it's also very basely logical weird yes and dark no i i logical yeah yeah no weird. It's, like it's, yes it's weird crazy, and dark like, but also like pragmatic yes like yes. it's <laughs> also sounds like a pitch for like dark horse comics zombie <laughs> right. he just well, really they were help the kids they just wanted their presence that's really <laughs> right all. yeah well, and i think too because one of the things we had to do with that conversation right is not the whole good bad they're right or wrong is i was like hey they're allowed to believe that and you guys are still allowed to be friends we're not judging yeah. them and we need to model that mm-hmm. just we don't want them judging us that because we don't go to church that we're going to hell i was invested in as the the good Jewish child in my family. And I didn't live up to that investment. But my brother and sister went to public schools and I was sent to the private Jewish day school and all this. And we don't have hell in Judaism. There's no hell. There's no purgatory. There's either like you die and you either are inscribed in the book of life or you're not. Like, Do you believe in reincarnation? That's a really good question. So I would say it's not necessarily reincarnation. It's the energy transfer. That like as an adult, I can say as a child, I would have been like, no, fuck no. And I still don't even know if like what the construct of God doesn't resonate with me, like an all powerful being. For me, I look at it as a much more like universalist kind of thing. There's energy out there in the universe and Mm -hmm. we're all energy and how that gets transferred around is how we 
relate to other people. So when you die, the energy goes somewhere. I learned that at Mosey when I put my hand down on the thing and electricity went. I'm like, yes, we have electricity in us. And I wanted to take a video and be like, see people, it's just science. Anyway, what, it is just science. So that's where like my alignment goes. And that's where like I find a lot of comfort in Judaism mm-hmm. and in those, in that type of, of environment. I don't find comfort in any type of organized religion. And that's where I was coming from, especially in college, was as embarrassed or angry as I felt when I began to accept the fact that a lot of things I believe were wrong. Jesus was still attractive to me when I was younger. The starting place for the idea of faith or religion or anything was fear. It was like, you got to save your soul. You got to defeat the bad guys. You got to avoid hell. And so what I tried to do in the book and really just, and especially parenting my kids, is that we begin with a place of love, that we love each other, that we love our friends, we love strangers, we love God, but we're not doing this, whatever this is, whether it's church or your own spirituality, we're not doing this out of a sense of fear. It was illustrated, like maybe because he was talking, maybe there is something out there that's like trying to stop him. him. Yes. I've said that during Zoom calls when we're like talking about things like that. I'm like, apparently the universe does not want me to share this with you. We lost you because of the devil didn't like what you were saying. I remember I used to think about that. I have a very similar background to this guy. And then when somebody told me like, but there's only one devil, what makes you think he's picking on you? If there's really one devil, like, like you're the guy that he's messing with to flatten your tire. That's true. You know? that's, dude, that's so good. You that need is. to say that. That's how he's spending well, his time. He is, like, he's recording it. Right. <laughs> yes. So it's because it is, it's one of those things that I think when you look at how these things are constructed, like. We've had these conversations. Hey. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. I've got gigabit internet and it says it's fully It's because the devil does not want you to. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it is. And I had all kinds of really great inspirational stuff that you would want to put on a poster that you guys just missed. Maybe it's still recorded on his end. It might have. And then we'll see it at Riverside. (laughs) It'll be a surprise. Fear, love. Yeah. So yeah, I think the fundamental problem with not just Christianity, but religion, philosophy in general is our starting point. That's going to determine your endpoint. How are you beginning? It's going to depend, determine your trajectory and, and where you think you should head. And when we begin with a place of fear, religion, Christianity, salvation, whatever the faith is, it becomes very self-centered because it's all about me and, and my soul or my body or what happens to me, as opposed to beginning with a place of love. And then it becomes very self uh, sacrificing, or it should be at least, because you're trying to love others as you love yourself, that love flows forth into others as opposed to the fear that you're trying to keep others at bay. And for me, it's really important to begin from that place. And that's why Jesus is still attractive to me, because I I see him as that embodiment of life, that sa- self-sacrificial love that, that really makes a difference. And, and it helps people in need, like we talk in the church a lot about the gospel being good news for the poor. And I think Jesus meant that very literally, that, that that it was good news for people who were suffering, for the least of these who need help. And I think Christianity in particular has gotten off track in the last, I don't know, 2,000 years of, <laughs> of making it just this internal spiritual battle for your soul, as opposed to something that really makes a difference in the here, here and now. And for me, if the gospel isn't good news to the single mom you know, trying to pay your bills or to the immigrant trying to find you know refuge in a new country, then it's just not good news at all. And that's what I'm trying to do in the book is recreate Christianity. And I think I accomplished that. Was there a specific experience in college that made you realize that you were an asshole for Jesus? Yes. So there's one in the book that's a particular turning point. There's two. One is my wife calling me out on my bullshit, even when we were dating. But I found that very attractive. We actually met um, 
on a snowy day in February, <laughs> my friend had a couch in his dorm and they thought, you know what, this couch would be better with a, a pair of skis nailed to the bottom of it. And so he nailed skis to the couch and then tied a rope to the couch and then the back of his Jeep. And we were taking uh, tours around campus. Um, he was awesome. just dragging the- That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so we were couch skiing, and I thought we were you know, couch skiing. Thank you for well, setting up the actual like that. There were skis nailed to the bottom of the couch. It was a beautiful thing. And as a college student, well, your first thought, as a guy at least, is I should do this naked. And I was stripping down to my my birthday suit, and she happened to show up um, with another friend of mine. And being a gentleman, I kept my boxers on. Nice. And that was the first time we met was when we sat on the couch and then flipped over into a snow drift. But she she you was. You didn't land on top of her, did you? Uh, no. I I got a face full of snow, and the pool was very cold that day. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, Seinfeld it's reference. If you haven't watched yes. Seinfeld, then I'm yeah. definitely signing off. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I have. I'm with you. I'm with you. It was a George Costanza moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was this dyed wool conservative Southerner, and she was a liberal Yankee from Boston. And she had no problem speaking her mind and opening my mind, you know, up to the idea that be a Red Sox fan and not go to hell. Um, right. That was a, a new concept for me. But so it was a combination of that. And then there was a particular moment with one of my professors in my freshman year. He was a New Testament theology professor. And so, you know, a lot of the end times theology stuff comes from the book of Revelation, which is in the New Testament. And so I had a meeting with him to schedule my summer, or I'm sorry, my spring classes. And I assumed that it was really just a ruse that he wanted to hear all my end times theology prophecy ideas. And so I showed up for the meeting and without sitting down, I just start sharing all my prophecies and antichrist candidates and timelines and maps and charts and everything that I can think of. Because my thought is he's going to be really impressed and blown away by my theological He's going to recommend I graduate right now. <laughs> oh, he, he's going to put me on the faculty. He's going to be like, damn, this kid knows his stuff. And so when I finally stopped talking and caught a breath, he did not nominate me to the faculty, but he looked at me and he said, I love those guys you're talking about. They, they all clearly love the Lord and, and the Bible. But he said, you know, my problem you know, is that they're trying to pinpoint places on a map that simply doesn't exist. He said, you know, they're right. We're living in the end times, but we have been ever since Jesus walked out of the tomb. And I naturally um, took his advice with a lot of thought and care. I was like, oh, thank you for correcting me. And then stormed off, you know, into my dorm, pissed off and, and slammed the door and, and was mad for a couple of years and did all the cliche juvenile fake rebellion that a Christian conservative teenage does. And got piercings and played rock and roll and tried alcohol for the first time and got a tattoo. My faith since then has, has in a lot of ways been wrestling with what he meant by that, what it means that we're living in the quote quote end times. And you know, what he was trying to tell me, or what I think he was trying to tell me that day was that with Jesus and, and the Christian faith, it's it's not about this idea of sitting around waiting, you know, for Jesus to return and then whisk us all away, but that in the resurrection, what we're really proclaiming is there's this new, better way of living life. You know, that there is this for the last are made first, the least are made great, the poor are made rich, that the oppressed are set free. That's not something we have to wait for. That we, there's not some magical day on a calendar. And we can create gonna, it. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. That, that we are called as disciples of Jesus to do this now, to serve the poor now, to speak up for the marginalized and the oppressed now. That this is what the way of Jesus is like. The way of Jesus is not running for a cave and figuring out secret Bible codes. You know, the way of Jesus is, is serving and loving mm -hmm. your neighbors. And that to me is, is something that's still attractive as a way of faith and spirituality. But there's a lot of things, there's a lot of bullshit Christianity out there, a lot of it. And I, I, 
I do feel compelled to try to speak up when I can and to call it out when I see it. As disenchanted as I get with the church and as followers, I like the way of Jesus. Wellforce, offering business consulting and IT solutions for your hybrid workforce. Do you need business process evaluations and solutions to streamline your workflows? A technology assessment, including security and managed services to optimize performance, or solutions to create a seamless hybrid workplace experience. If that's you, Wellforce has a growing team of affiliates to support your organization's move to hybrid. Visit wellforce.ai today. Church to me is an institution in the business. Whereas religion, spirituality, your religious beliefs and your belief in Jesus, like that is a personal thing. For Jews, they don't do like the weekly tithings, right? Like you can walk into any church in the country and do, you don't have to be a member. But for synagogues, for the, for uh, for our, for my people, for my tribe, there is, there's an expectation that for you to take advantage of the things that the synagogue has to offer, that community, those things you, that you become a member. So you pay your tithings like upfront. <laughs> right. <laughs> and some of these church, some of these synagogues are like country clubs and you have to pay Correct. twenty, thirty $30,000 a year yeah. to be a quote member. And yes, they do wonderful things for the community, but it is a business. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. they're in the business of bringing good things to their communities. They are a for-profit. But they are, yes. And I, well, that and I is the number one thing why I do not go to church. Because when I moved here to North Carolina, I didn't know a soul. And I literally was like, I will go around and, and look, like, is there some kind of thing that I can? And I was like talking to people over at the different, and what do you believe? And I would go through the first three questions because if they were no's on that, I was like, I'm out. I went to the Unitarian church, went through the whole weekend and was like, okay, maybe these are my people. Maybe this is it. <laughs> yeah. And right at the end, they went into membership and they had tiers and levels. And if you paid this much, you're the... And I, that goes against my whole core yeah. belief of we are all equally worthy simply because we exist. And there is not tiers yeah. of because you paid for this level of membership, you get access. Well, and I, so I challenged yeah. it literally in the group as we're sitting there before like they're passed around the papers. Of, and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. I've just sat here all weekend and listened to this. And what you're now, the piece of paper you're shoving in front of me is completely contradictory to yeah. everything you just said to yeah. me all weekend. And I was like, help me understand. I will also specify in the Jewish congregations, it's income based. So it's means based. So if you make more money, you're expected to pay more. So it's not like it's not like levels and tiers. But like what if that, I but want what if I make more money? But I only want to give the church two percent and I want to give the orphanage and Uganda 80%. You do Don't you, Don't tell me. Exactly. You you. That's why it pisses me off. But that's, Don't. and I think, but this is like such an interesting conversation because first of all, talking about these things is in traditionally in, in societies is taboo. Right, like we don't talk about these things. It's not the quote Christian thing to do. Like you don't talk about. I'm a better Christian because I gave 20%. And in my former life, like I only, I've only ever worked for, with the exception of working for the VA, I've only ever worked for religious-based hospitals. So there was always this very, it's the, it's what the way that the nuns do it. It's the Christian thing to do, it's, which is, How I feel like. Do they get to register as a nonprofit? Yeah, they're all. Mm -hmm. well, I didn't know you could be a nonprofit hospital. Oh yeah. There's nonprofit, there's for profit. Yeah. We can have a whole nother conversation about that another time. Um, Did you see the nun that just got busted for embezzling $850,000 to pay her gambling debts? What? I yeah, so you got to Google this. Yeah, like she she was skimming money off the top of their 
charity or whatever. Apparently, she has a huge gambling problem. 850 grand. Yeah. That's a lot of gambling. Yes. Or maybe it's just one big game. I I feel like saying things like it's the Christian thing to do is just like a pacifying statement, right? Do things because your heart tells you. Just because because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And don't tell me it's the Christian thing to do just to justify your shooting. (laughs) Oh, I, I think Christians are particularly bad about like proof texting, finding a Bible verse and saying, well, no, I, mm. I can do this and I, I shouldn't do this. Or covering up bigotry and racism with spiritual language. They say, oh, no, this is just my deeply held religious belief. And I'm like, no, you're just a bigot. Yeah, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. You can yes. justify slavery. You can justify yes. homophobia. You can justify killing children who are unruly. And so you take yep. them outside of the camp and stone them to death. And one of the biggest things for me uh, that transformed you know, my perspective on scripture was a professor in graduate school and we're sitting around and he's presenting us with one of these crazy verses from the Old Testament, like the children's stoning passages. And he's like, what do you do with this? And these are all a bunch of you know, Ivy League educated you know, young people who are trying to think of these deep theological answers. And it finally gets to the point. He's like, what if the Bible's just wrong? And you just sit there kind of stunned like, can we, what? Can I you know? And, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it seems so obvious. It's literally like it was passed down. It yeah. was like, it's a game of telephone that ended up getting written down. Right. Exactly. Well, he, what if the kid's name I, was Stone and they were like, take, take <laughs> Stone <right>. outside. <laughs> like, and beat him with the rug beater. I don't, it's, yeah, it's no, literally, exactly. I, I feel like my whole world is just validated right here. <laughs> Moving from Yankee North yeah. to Southern conservative. We're in a purple area here in Raleigh, but it's still a lot Southern conservative. And a lot of that kind of comes through and was an adjustment for me to hear a lot of that at the forefront, to hear the, the, well, and it's you know. like context too. What is what was the context? The context isn't in there. Or they'll yeah. take yeah. the one line, but not the five yeah. before the five. Right. And that's one of that was one of the one of my one of the things that attracted me to Zach's social in the first place was like I would I was a total lurker and I would see like the 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 po- and I would just read through the comments and be like oh my god there's intelligent life out there like <laughs> it was because people are there's something to be said for the echo chamber of social media but sure when you have the disruptors right like you like John Pavlovitz like those types of people who are calling out the bullshit and saying this doesn't have to be the way like yeah. it is it's it's encouraging what kind of yeah. repercussions did you get as a result of that? I lost a book deal. My first book that I wrote, I wrote a post and it has exactly to do with this called The Bible Isn't Perfect and It Says So Itself, which is just really eloquent. Which is That is. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's a terrible title. I'm not good at titling it. But the book had nothing to do with that subject matter. But I wrote this post about the Bible not being perfect. And I took, there's, we're talking just a second ago about verses being pulled out of context. And so the verse that gets used is out of, Second uh, Timothy and three sixteen, and this is the idea that God or the all Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, correction, and blah 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 blah. And so, what I try to do is take this passage that's used by fundamentalism to say the Bible is perfect and flip it on its head. Because if you look at this word, this theonosis, which is the the Greek for this God breathed, like what does that actually mean? Or where in Scripture, like you were saying before, what's the context here? What else in Scripture is God breathed? And the only other God breathed thing in Scripture is is people. when In Genesis chapters, at the very beginning of Genesis, when God breathes dust into the life or into the dirt and, and gives life to, to humanity. And so to me, I read that passage 
and say, this is God saying that the Bible is written by people. It's it's still important. It's still inspirational. It can still be useful for all these different things, but it's a product of humanity. It's inspired. Sure. It doesn't have to be perfect to convey truth. Just like your parents don't have to be perfect to tell to teach you the truth. Mm-hmm. My mom is wrong about a lot of things. That doesn't mean she's wrong about me touching my hand on a hot stove. That's still there's still truth. And the Bible can still convey good things, even though it's a product of people written over thousands of years. And so to me, that's a rational thing. And to me, it's even a beautiful thing because it says God wants us really participating in this work of making the world a better place. That it's not just God dropping this magic book from heaven, that, that we're involved in this. And it's imperfect and it's messy. And sometimes it's really gross because there are passages in the Bible that are just really gross, but that's because they were written by people. And we need to embrace that. Anyway, and so I write this post about that. And a guy named Ken Ham, I don't know if you're familiar with Kim Ham. If you're not, Google him and you'll have fun all afternoon researching his uh, creation museum where he has all these Disney-like mm-hmm. dioramas of like people riding dinosaurs. Riding dinosaurs, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he built a big-ass ark in, in Kentucky, like yes. life-size. Um, yes. He's nuts. So anyway, he finds it and he writes this post about how I'm a liberal heretic going to hell. My publisher finds it and then I get this phone call and I was told that I was outside the bounds of even evangelical orthodoxy. And I was like, evangelical orthodoxy is not a thing. Find five evangelicals who agree on anything. Like, good luck, you know, with that. And so anyway, yeah, the battle over whether or not the Bible is perfect in every way, real consequences for folks. For me, it cost me a book deal. We decided to part ways and, you know, that's okay. But in other ways, it's been, it's liberating when you don't feel bound to like reconcile and do all these mental gymnastics to try to make sense of things and can instead say, Paul wrote this and Paul was imperfect, just like me. And he had a temper just like me. And maybe he could be misogynistic and an asshole just like me. Or the same thing. And when Paul knew better, he can do better. You know what I mean? Like maybe he evolved. Yeah. Paul evolved and then he believed things differently. And But all we have is a snapshot. We're not talking about, we're not. Yep. Actually talking about the writings of Paul because he was an asshole. I'm he just saying. But it's like any person, though. It's any person. <laughs> like, it is a person, a okay. human being a on their journey. That's fine. I'm just this. saying. Because the writings of Paul, like misogynistic. Yeah. Well, and, and he had with, some good like, things, too. And that's the thing is it's for me with the Bible, it's like, again, going back to what we said before, like, what's the starting point? Like how, what's the trajectory or the lens through which you're reading it? And for me, I go back again to the way Jesus, you know, Jesus is basically asking the same question when he's asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And what's really been asked there by the teachers of law is how do we read the Bible? What's the lens through which we, we should mm. understand all this? And he says, love the Lord your God and your neighbors yourself. And he says, everything in the law and the prophets hangs on this. And so what one of the early church fathers, St. Augustine says is when you're reading scripture and, and you're trying to interpret it, whatever your interpretation is, no matter how much exegetical work or textual work you've done, no matter how deep and theologically you get, if your interpretation of that passage does not lead you to love God and love your neighbor, then you're wrong. Like period. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so like when I take that as my starting point and read through scripture and then come to a passage like slaves obey your masters for it is right in the Lord, then I'm challenged, you know, by that to, to, to take a step back and say, well, what is going on here? Because I clearly can't read this to say, let's do slavery because that's, <laughs> you know, there it's in the Justified. Bible. Although that happened. Like that was the United States since 69. 69- 19. And to me, it becomes a more authentic faith when we don't just blindly accept things when we, oh, we are, we're forced to like challenge, be challenged and, and to see how does this apply to the world. But again, it's that starting point for me. Is is this driving me to love my neighbor? And if it's not, then you know, I'm not really interested in it. Even if the Bible said, go stone your children and my kids are being annoying, I, I will try to avoid it. Right. You're not going to pick up the slingshot. I I would think that would be more relevant to the dog. But, you know, (laughs) that's what I thought, too. too. 
But I think that it's really important to recognize, too. So as we've been saying, like the Bible was written however many thousands of years ago, the written game of telephone that then was pre-industrial revolution, pre-modernization, pre And so I think that part of the challenge that I see as an outsider looking in is trying to hold on to those traditions and finding a way to make things relevant in spite of all of these modern movements, right? Like how do you fit, you can't fit slavery into the modern world. It doesn't yeah. fit. Child abuse. You can't fit child <laughs> abuse. You can't fit rape. Right. Rape. Yes. Yeah. You can't fit like a, the a lack of equality between human beings. None of that fits now. And yeah. so I, I think that there's a lot of anger and frustration because of this. And, pro- and I think a lot of people aren't even aware of it, right? The internal subconscious struggle of like I'm being taught one thing and I'm being taught this other thing and they don't match Mm -hmm. they don't integrate they're completely incongruent and Mm -hmm. I love what you said about a more authentic faith yes and finding a way to using that lens of approaching things from love and treating people well Mm -hmm. to color all of the other things it's literally looking at things through rose-colored glasses and I'm very (laughs) much happy about that well, it's like, like that doesn't apply because that's yeah. not from that place of love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for me, that's not like practical. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You can save my soul from hell or whatever after I die. But what are you doing for me now? And to me, that's not a selfish question. Or what are you doing for Ian Leastings now? It's not a selfish question. It's really, literally the heart of the gospel. There's only one place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus describes what, what he says will happen on Judgment Day. And it's in Matthew 25. And it's not... When we get to the pearly gates, it's not Jesus standing there saying, do you believe in the Virgin Mary? Did you affirm the Trinity? Did you hate the gays? Did you eat pork? It's not this list of rules. It's, I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was thirsty. Did you give me something to drink? I was sick and in prison. Did you come and visit me? And so the the irony for me in all this is that we have all these big theological battles and we draw all these lines and we bicker and we fight and we demonize and we oppress and we marginalize over all of these ideas and all this dogma. And for Jesus... At the end of the day, the judgment day, when it comes, is not going to be on whether or not you thought the Bible was perfect or whether or not you believed in the virgin birth. It's, did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Did you give the thirsty something to drink? And the most radical part, and this should be the most scandalous thing, particularly for evangelicals, is that at the end, the people are surprised when they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Because there's no confession of faith. There's no, Jesus isn't saying, well, did you go down to an altar and say the sinner's prayer? There's no like line in the sand that says, you profess to be a Christian, so you get to go to heaven. It's whoever feeds the hungry and clothes the naked. And and it's just, for me, it's just very beautiful, all-encompassing image of, of love that I would expect God to be. And again, that's, and that's why I find Jesus attractive, because it's like when you actually pay attention to the way of Jesus, how he actually lived and embodied and called you know, his followers do. To me, that's deeply pragmatic and practical for the here and now, because there's always hungry folks. There's always refugees. There's always the oppressed. And we've seen this particularly in the last four years with Voldemort in office. There's there's all of of these ways to live out this way of love, right? And you don't have to necessarily do it in the name of Jesus without, and yet you can still follow the way of Jesus. And I like that a lot because it opens up the table to way more people than I thought as a teenager could be allowed to sit at the table. Oh, I love that. I know. I was like, boom, mic drop. (laughs) That's it. We're done. So, Zach, first of all, I love this conversation. And I thank you so much for trusting us to, without ever having met us before, to like just join us and have this conversation. Tell our listeners how they can find you. 
Yeah, for a love offering of forty nine ninety five, I will pray over your dog, and you will be blessed. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Because that's, that's the Christian awesome. thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can follow me. My social media handles, for the most part, are the same. It's Zach Hunt, but with two A's because some bastard stole Zach Hunt, and it's just sitting on it on Twitter, and they won't let me have it. So Z A A C K H U N T. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. And maybe one day I'll be cool and do the TikTok. Sarah's going to follow you right now. Yay. Thank you. You're going to just trust me implicitly now, right? Like I'm going to make good choices for our show and you can trust me. (laughs) I do trust you. (laughs) It was my own triggering stuff. And And yeah, definitely if you like having these conversations and if you like listening to these conversations, follow Zach on social because you will be rewarded here and in the afterlife. Um, <laughs> but only yes. if you send the forty nine ninety five. So exactly. Funny. Everybody, stick your hands on your iPhones. We're gonna pray. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Connect with us at girlswhodostuff.com. Subscribe to our email list for fun announcements and leave us a review. It helps other people find our stuff. We would be so grateful to you for taking those actions, so we can get this out into the world and change more lives. I am Jenny Midgley. I am Sarah Madras. And, and you, you do, do you, you, boo. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast and follow us on social media. Bye.